from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This week, we're continuing our series on rural transportation infrastructure, with a focus today on rural public transit. Now obviously, building, operating, and maintaining a public transit system is expensive. Every so often, for example, the New York City Metro Transit Authority is in the news with a multi-billion dollar project to renovate subway stations and improve train lines and transit times and any metro system that is anywhere near that size relies on its sheer scale of ridership in order to function. With millions of people concentrated in a relatively small area, all pitching in a few bucks regularly to use the New York subway system, that system can exist. But millions of people in a concentrated area is exactly what rural spaces lack. I mean, the lack of people living near each other defines what a rural space is. But those 60 million or 1 in 5 Americans who live in rural areas also have transportation needs. And as the cost of goods increases faster than the growth of wages, a lot of folks lack the financial stability to go out and buy a car right now. And that highlights the need for some form of public transit option in our rural spaces. So this week, I sat down with Laura Quigley, the commissioner of the Sullivan County Division of Community Resources, which includes the Department of Transportation, to talk about the Move Sullivan public bus program. So obviously Move Sullivan is now an established program in Sullivan County, and it's been established mm-hmm. for a couple of years now, right? Uh, yeah, it started in, um, launched in August of 19. So what was the impetus for the program and, and how did it come to fruition? Well, at the time I was the director of the Center for Workforce Development and um, transportation has always been an ongoing issue in trying to help people get back to work um, and, and take advantage of some of the great opportunities in the county. And it was always something that I constantly was a broken record about. Um, but I had a big job there, and I went to the county manager, to Josh, and I said, uh, I got a call from like 13 people who got job offers and can't get there. And I said, we have to do something. And he agreed. At the same time, there was a group out of the Office for the Aging called the Long-Term Care Council, that had come together also about transportation. And so the timing was perfect and kind of both groups started talking and it was just such an important thing for me. And I thought it was such a moment uh, that I needed to seize on all the enthusiasm about it. So I just sort of took the ball and ran with it. So this was really your brainchild right from the start. Um, sort of, I, you know, really, it, I mean, none of it would have happened just because I was thinking of it. Um, I mean, it required the county manager, who has just been such an incredible, you know, partner in getting this all off the ground, 
um, as well as other uh, other folks in the county. I mean, we met all the time. We were going through things, um, and I was doing a deep dive and learning all about transportation and public transportation, and um, looking at examples from around the country and the state and this and that, and putting it all together. And yes, I would probably have the most passion about it, but it definitely wasn't a solo thing. Well, in benchmarking rural transportation networks all over the country, what were some of the programs that you were looking at? One of the ones that I, I used as a model was in Pennsylvania. It kind of modeled that to some of the things that we were thinking of because when you're a rural county, you have always your hubs where you have most people, most business located. So that's kind of right now where Move Sullivan is, right? Kind of take care of the bulk of the population. But then you always have your outer areas where there's far less population. And even if people can take advantage of it, the frequency isn't necessarily there to make it cost effective. So then it's how do you knit together those pieces so that people can get from point A to point B, knowing you're not going to solve everybody's issues, but how can you hit the, the, the bulk? Some areas um, have they'll have like van service that'll go out to the more rural areas two or three times a week. You have other areas that, um, which is one area I like is they bring some of their larger employers into the conversation to see how they can support the efforts of getting their employees to work and how can that partnership work. Um, Some do a, which is what we're sort of looking at kind of a hub and spoke model where um, you have your core loop, and then you branch out down different corridors so that you're hitting the next layer of of more populated um, groups. The other thing that has happened, and we're we're looking at doing as well, is bringing together. There's a lot of different human service agencies, like you have a New Hope, you have an ARC, you have Center for Discovery, and others that provide transportation to their folks right now. And, and including the county, right? So we have all these vehicles that go around. There's times when those vehicles are deadheading back with nobody on. So is there a way that we can maximize those efforts and perhaps make available transportation to other folks that aren't necessarily attached to those places for services, but need to maybe get from Monticello up to community services and liberty, or they need to get from here to here and they can hop on one of those buses. It does work in other, um, there's a county and state that does this. And so um, we've been, we're going to start looking at that this year. The the pandemic kind of put a a crimp in, in being able to get some of those things moving forward. So that's one of my goals for this year. So to me, it's not one thing. You have to take pieces from all the different things because it's a, uh, it's complicated. It's not like a city. So how did the project get funded initially? And what was the contract where the county was able to get buses for this? So when you're working with um, tax dollars, you always put a, a, a bid out or a request for proposal, which is what we did, um, out there to see this is what we want and see who, who responds. And um, then you go through, we had a whole team of people. We looked through all of the different proposals and we came to our decision and we gave the contract to Rolling V. Um, and part of their contract was the provision of those 
those uh, buses that they use. The contract is paid with a combination of uh, county tax dollars as well as um, state transportation and federal transportation dollars hmm. that get generated based on ridership. Does it work like a grant from the state and federal government? Yeah, it's it's um, I'm learning the ins and outs of the transportation funding and how it works, which is very different than the workforce funding. It's an allocation that you can apply for, and it's based on what type of ridership that you have. Prior to Move Sullivan starting, the county provided public transportation, still does. We have a, a, a shopping bus um, that has various routes in, in the community that helps seniors and others who need to get to ShopRite, Walmart, whatever, and it goes um, once a week or, you know, now it's a little less than that right now as we're ramping back up. But so we, we would get reimbursed from the state based on the ridership of that. With Move Sullivan and the ridership being, you know, vastly increased, it increases the amount of funding that we can now receive back from the state. So you have to apply and project what you anticipate your ridership is going to be and expenses are going to be. And then your, you, what you get reimbursed is based on what the actual uh, ridership is. So how has the ridership been going with, with that in mind? Um, I know it started, started out being uh, free and then there was, a, there was a plan to have the fee for the bus implemented over time. And has that affected ridership? Sure it has. Um, when it started out and it was free, uh, in in August of 19, we had, uh, it ramped up rather quickly, and we had um, pretty high ridership, seven 800 riders a week for both routes. Our intention was to uh, put the fee in in early 2020. But when the pandemic hit, we made the decision to hold off on that. But we kept it running. So Move Sullivan kept running. Naturally, the numbers dropped off as a result of the pandemic. And the majority of the people that were using it then were people that were going to work, going to the doctors, that type of thing. Like, so it was a great service for essential workers um, to get where they needed to be. And we decided to implement it, the uh, $2 fee in November. So starting in November, the ridership in terms of the raw numbers dropped off. But in surveying, having the driver survey and and uh, ridership and whatever, it's more of when it was free, people would ride it five days a week to go to the store, to go here, to go there or whatever. Now that it's $2, maybe now they're doing it two days a week. So, you know, Mary Smith can ride the bus, you know, five, six times a week. Each one of those is considered a rider. So you can have one person count multiple times. You don't do unique individuals, but you do right. a unique rider. So, so that's how it's, it's dropped off. So now we're averaging somewhere between, I don't know, 370 to 400 a week, riders a week. Coming out of the pandemic now, do you expect ridership to pick up more? I, could, I guess I could sort of see an argument either way, where during the pandemic, people like essential workers might really need to get on that bus. But at the same time, mm -hmm. outside of the pandemic, people might feel more comfortable being on a public bus with other people around. So now that cases are tapering off and whatnot, do you expect the ridership to pick up over the next months going forward? I expect it to pick up, but I actually don't expect it to pick up until maybe closer to the fall. And primarily because um, 
I mean, we made some changes to the route in November when we, we installed the $2 fee, um, where we expanded to hit more of the apartment complexes in Monticello, as well as getting down to the Crystal Run. Both of the, the routes are now different slightly, and there's transfer points with it, but we, we thought it would be a great way to provide more medical um, runs for folks, too. And that has, that has picked up. I think until people start getting back to work, which I'm thinking may not happen in bulk until towards the end of the summer or September, when the essential workers that are in grocery stores and restaurants and whatever, I think it's going to be a little bit before they come back on. And then I do expect the numbers to go up. And as Maybe said, not back to 800 when people mm, were riding it multiple times mm, for free, right. but definitely yeah. more. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, the way rural counties are laid out, you're always going to have a couple of these more densely populated areas, like in our case, Monticello, Liberty, uh, maybe Fallsburg as well. And then further out, you have all these smaller towns dotted all over the place. Although I imagine that there is still a, a bit of demand from a lot of these different areas. Is there some plan in the future to further expand the route to some of these smaller towns? Yes, um, there is a plan and who provides that, whether we end up partnering with um, a local, um, um, you know, either expand the current contract or partner with another local provider or the county chooses to do it, like whichever is the most cost effective, say Jeffersonville, for instance. Sure. Jeffersonville has, you know, there is an absolute transportation need in there for groups of people. So if we provided, say there was a van that came certain points during the day in, in Jeffersonville, and it could take you then to Liberty where you could hop on the move Sullivan bus, as opposed to having that van then travel all the way to Monticello, kind of use them as feeders into the existing routes of move Sullivan. And then you could do that for a few bucks. And I think we might be able to knit something together, but we, it doesn't make, at least right now, the way I look at it, there's not, it's not really cost effective to have say transportation from Jeffersonville that takes everybody all the way down to Monticello or all the way into when you have move Sullivan right there, if there's a way that we can bring people that they can then just hop off and hop on to move Sullivan and get to where they go. They might be on a little bit longer, but at least they'll be getting where they need to go. So I also saw that the program is cash only right now. Is there also a plan to develop other options for payment as well for the system? And has that been we, an issue at all so far? It's interesting because one of the things that we did is when we were first looking, when we started to look at the um, charging the fee, I looked at different models, um, electronic models, like that tapping a card, whatever. And then we surveyed the ridership for over a period of a few weeks. And a lot of the riders are not people that have credit cards that they can go on and front load an account to have a tap card, right? They all were, the overwhelming majority wanted cash. Interesting. And or to be able to buy just like a, like you can buy a ticket. You can buy a book of three uh, tickets for five bucks. Um, and get a discount or pay the $2 cash when, when you get on. And the overwhelming majority of the riders wanted the cash because they tend to be your lower wage workers, 
people that don't necessarily have um, those things that would be far more convenient for something. Someone like you and I, we would absolutely give me a Metro card. I'm good. Got it. Right. Yeah. But for them, it's, it doesn't work that it, that well for them. And how many buses are in the fleet right now? Well, there's two, there's two routes. So there's two buses and then two backup buses hmm. um, for the move Sullivan, you, you know, piece right now. Backups in case one in or case, both of the two uh, on the road break down. Break down? I see. Right. In case a bus breaks down. Hmm. Um, yeah. Something like that. And that's in addition to what the county already had in place to get people to grocery stores and whatnot around once. Right. So the county, if you're a senior citizen, you can uh, sign up through the office for the aging and you would then be able to access uh, transportation for medical appointments. And that's at no cost. And then you can um, take advantage of the shopping buses, which is a donation, not a set fee, just a, a donation. And there's set routes for those shopping, um, you know, where they pick up. There's a Eldred route, uh, like a Jeff Calhoun route. There's so, the, And then they, they take folks down into Monticello to do their food shopping. And we also have um, a veterans bus service. So for veterans that need to get to medical appointments as well, that's at no charge. Now that you've kind of been overseeing this program and you were or initially putting in all the research for this program, if you either had unlimited funding within your current role, or if you were, say, you know, the, the czar of public transportation <laughs> policy for something like New York State, what's the kind of the ideal world that you would want to live in in terms of rural transportation networks? Good question. Um, I think with what I've learned so far, so that means in six months it might change because um, <laughs> I keep learning. I do. I keep yeah. learning all the time. It, it really, it's a, it, there's a definite learning curve. For me, if you are not economically mobile, you cannot be economically successful. So economic mobility is critical, especially in rural communities. So if people cannot get places, then the quality of their life is limited. So for me to have low cost or no cost, depending, transportation available, even if it's something where you have like a move spot where you have the hub of those things and in the outskirts, you either have on demand, well, you're going to on demand for certain things, people like a dial a ride, mm -hmm. you call up ahead of time or you have three days a week, this van is going to be here or whatever, just anything that can help people get economically mobile. To me, between that and childcare are the two most important things for rural communities that they have to address and make serious investment in if they want the county overall to continue to be economically successful. Because if your kids aren't safe and you can't get anywhere, then you're not going to go anywhere. Have you seen and has the county seen a tangible improvement in, uh, I guess, especially employment? since the time that the Move Sullivan program got started? Or have there been concrete changes in the numbers in our county? Um, I could not, I, I, I can't attribute it to it for this reason. The biggest growth that we've had in our employment is in hospitality and tourism, and that was with the launch of 
Resort Squirrel Casino, Cartwright Water Park, the Yo One Health Resort, all of those things that have happened that really came in between 2015 um, and they all ended up opening at different points in 2018. It absolutely spurred a lot of support for something like Move Sullivan so that they could get people to work at these places. But then right after that, the pandemic hit and everything shut down. So if there's not a way for me to gauge that. To so we'll have to really wait matters. a little longer to come out of the pandemic first. Right, right. I, I, just, I, I would love to be able to say, oh, well, yes, of course. But I, I, I just can't. I can't quantify that because of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, asking the question, I guess, makes me think, you know, what metric would you ideally want to see? move Sullivan improving over time? Is it just employment numbers or is there something else there as well that you would want to be looking out for, say, five years down the road? If there is a way, and I don't quite know what that metric would be, but not only to improve the employment opportunities for people, but the other way that economies grow is when people are out and about spending their disposable income. Right. So if people are able to get to stores, if people are able to get to um, events and restaurants and whatever, and they can spend some of those dollars in those places, that's another way that, um, that you know, a move Sullivan or an expanded transportation system can have real impact, I think, on the county. Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time and talking about this program. Is there anything else that you want to add? No, I, I, I can throw on that one of the things that's coming up, um, Garnet Health reached out and we're going to have uh, a meeting coming up because, and, and this is where I think private-public partnerships can be really helpful. They have uh, a concern of some folks not being able to get back for a second, third, you know, other follow-up medical appointments. Transportation, their hearing is the number one issue. So, I'm looking forward to working with them to figure out how between us, we can either with Move Sullivan, with county resources, with what Garnett brings to the table, is there grant money out there, how we can help to mitigate that issue. Again, it, all it needs is to help it, having people, if you keep your follow-up medical appointments, you stay healthy, you continue to move forward, you know, we can make a little dent in our health rankings and everything else. If folks want to find out either the schedule or just learn more about the Move Sullivan program, where can people go to learn more? The schedule is on the county's website under the transportation department. And if there's any very specific questions or if people have ideas, expansion ideas, whatever things they would like me to know about, they can reach me at the county, um, 8070388. I think that the Move Sullivan program, like other public bus programs that are being implemented in lots of rural counties across the country, is so important in an economic sense because it is a targeted, progressive intervention. And I don't mean progressive in the political sense that we normally associate that word with. I mean it as an alternative to a policy that is economically regressive. So progressive in this context means that it's an intervention designed to help folks in lower income brackets. A progressive tax, for example, would be our income tax, because the higher your income is, the greater percentage of that income is owed in taxes. 
while people with lower incomes have a lighter tax burden. A regressive tax, then, would be the five-cent bag tax at the grocery store, because people with lower incomes spend a greater share of their income on groceries than do people with higher incomes. So the Move Sullivan program is a progressive program because it is creating more economic opportunity for people with lower incomes, who might not have easy access to a personal vehicle. As Laura said, many of the hundreds of weekly riders on the Move Sullivan buses are going to work, because the more places you can physically get to, the more jobs are available to you, and the better chance you have of staying out of poverty. So this program is an exciting investment in our community, and I hope that we'll see it continue to grow over time. In the meantime, that is our show for today. Thanks again to Laura Quigley for taking the time to chat. And of course, thank you for listening. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a production of WJFF Radio Catskill. See you next week. Mm -hmm.